0: Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Colleen Campbell is uh, an award-winning author, print and broadcast journalist, uh, former presidential speechwriter for George W. Bush. She's the author most recently of The Heart of Perfection, How the Saints Taught Me to Trade My Dream of Perfect for God's. She's appeared on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, ABC, PBS, EWTN, where she hosted her own television and radio shows for eight years. And you can visit her online at Colleen Campbell.com. And Colleen, it's good to talk with you again. Thank you.
1: Great to be with you again. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, let's begin. Obviously, you're a great writer. Um, and you've also gone, I mean, i done a tremendous job of integrating your faith with your your writing. Uh, You didn't realize, though, that you were a perfectionist until you had children. What happened?
1: That's right. Well, I think in a lot of ways, I thought perfectionism, first of all, I thought it was the other guy's problem. And I think a lot of us think this, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, if your house isn't stick and span, or maybe you're not type A about certain aspects of your life, then you must not be a perfectionist. So I thought that was somebody else's problem. Um, and I thought whatever perfectionism I did have was helpful to me in my career. I was a striver. I'd like to work toward big goals, uh, you know, thrive under pressure, do things the best I can, uh, demand flawlessness of myself, right? Mm-hmm. And, not mm-hmm. that I achieved it, but uh, <laughs> when I became a mother nine years ago, and uh, I, I'm a mother of four, but uh, it was twins in the beginning, oh. um, I quickly saw that what may have helped me in my career and in other parts of my life uh, was going to be a real problem in motherhood, because children don't operate according to our timeline. Right. We don't meet our own expectations of what kind of parent we're going to be. And as a friend told me shortly after I became a mother, when I already thought I had blown it at six weeks because, you know, some, some mistakes I had made, uh, she said, <laughs> you know what, perfectionism has no place in motherhood. And I thought, perfectionism, is that my problem? And sure enough, uh, as the years went on, I began to see that it was indeed my problem, and in fact, it was infecting a lot of parts of my life, but the real surprise to me and what spurred me to write The Heart of Perfection was that this perfectionism that was coming out in other parts of my life began with my relationship with God, with spiritual perfectionism, and what I thought God was demanding of me. And I had it
0: wrong. Well, that's exactly uh, one of the early points that you make in the book. And, and that is that um, we don't realize this problem because we mistake our perfectionism uh, for a virtue. I mean, didn't Jesus say, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect? And so, is this a special problem for Christians?
1: I think in many ways it is. I mean, in some ways, we're living in a very perfectionist culture, and we hear all the time that perfectionism is the problem. Of course, the world's answer is just lower your standards. And if you're a serious Christian, if you're a committed Catholic, that, that's not going to wash. Right. You know, you know there's this universal call to holiness. And in the beginning, I thought, well, how could I answer that call if I surrendered perfectionism? But slowly, in returning to Scripture and the verses about perfection that I think I had misread the first time around, and especially with the help of what I call the recovering perfectionist saints, it's these seven <laughs> saints and one heretic I profile in the heart uh-huh. of perfection, I discovered that really that journey to holiness is not about perfectionist striving. It's really more about surrender to God's plan of holiness for us. And often that plan looks nothing like our own. Mm -hmm. And it was really in the lives of these saints only when they let go of their own plans and their own striving and began to surrender more fully to God's grace, that's the point in each of their lives where you begin to see that great fruit come out, those heroic virtues that we later study and sometimes mistakenly ascribe to some form of perfectionism, mm-hmm. when actually it was their recovery from perfectionism that made that holiness possible.
0: Wow, a great point. I want to get to those, uh, again, looking at the lives of those saints, but was there a, a particular moment when, uh, that made perfectionism a front-burner issue for you?
1: Yes, there was, and I remember it very clearly. I was bringing a toddler to the emergency room. I was nine months pregnant with the next baby, (laughs) and uh, there had been an accident, you know, one of those freak accidents any parent could have on their watch, but it happened on my watch, and it was preventable. You know, it was really me doing too much, running around, doing too many things, trying to do them too perfectly. Uh, In in this case, you know, led, led me to overlook something that allowed this child to get hurt. So I I was marching this child into the ER and I could barely walk. I was, I was ready to go into labor right on the blacktop. I was pretty sure. And, I, you know, I heard this familiar voice of condemnation that I had always thought was my own voice. You know, you screwed up. It's all your fault. You don't deserve anything good. And on and on. And out of kind of nowhere, I heard a different voice. Now, I didn't hear it like you and I are talking now. But just a sense in my heart, this, this, other, this other interpretation saying, you know, why doesn't someone give that woman a break? You know, maybe you did screw up. You probably did screw up, but you have to forgive yourself because you have to take care of these children. Mm -hmm. And um, that was the first time that I got a little distance from that inner critic that had been playing in a loop in my head for years. And I had always thought that critic was my own voice, you know, a reliable, if depressing guide to the truth. And I started to question that voice and to say, is that really my voice? Is that voice really telling me that the truth is that voice really even on my side? And that really began my journey, and it was a a real eye-opener for me to begin to realize that that voice of the accuser, that condemnation that I think all of us carry around, in some sense, is not the voice of God, that God is for us. He doesn't always love everything we're doing, right? Right, right. But he's always for us.
0: You know, this is a deep-seated problem, I think, in in many of our lives, Uh, where we we do, we strive, we're striving. We know we want to transcend where we are today. We know that the Christian life is one of growth and maturing and deepening of relationship with God. We want to cultivate the virtues. Uh, And yet, we find ourselves, when we get together with our friends, we find ourselves, instead of really building one another up, we end up Complaining and moaning about the state of the church <laughs> and its personnel um, and it, it we, we instead of l- listening to sermons as you write, we uh, critique them um, so w- where does that develop i mean i I don't remember when that began with me
1: right <laughs> well, I think it's a pretty common problem. I devote a whole chapter to it it's the chapter. Uh, that I also write about my one heretic who, who was directed by Francis de Sales <laughs> and seemed to be off to a rollicking start on her journey to sainthood, but took a wrong turn at the perfectionism
0: uh,
1: and, and never never really recovered from it and went on to do a great deal of damage in the church. But she, Angelique Arnaldo, who I'm talking about, the mistress of Jansenism. Mm-hmm. but she had the same struggle in her day hundreds of years ago. Oh, the church is a mess, everything's You know, going to hell in a handbasket, and yeah, absolutely, it was a mess then. We got a few huge messes on our hands today, right? Sure, oh yeah. So that's always going to be there. But I think the antidote for that, and what this, this heretic did not do, and why I thought she was a good example in the reverse of what we need to do, is to cultivate joy. You know, C. S. Lewis talks about this sort of spiritual elitism that we can fall into right. and we end up being critics and, and we end up focusing so much on our own and others' faults and rather than on God's glory. Doesn't mean we overlook sin or wink at it or say that wrong is right. It simply means that we want to keep our focus on Jesus and his joy. We want to cultivate joy and we need to distance ourselves from those people and situations and habits that we know Leech our joy and lead us into sin because, you know, God's word tells us that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that means when we are weak and vulnerable to sin and error and attack, when we don't consciously cultivate spiritual joy.
0: So, would you say then that one one way of dealing with being realistic about the state of the church as we see it today with its problems? one way of being able to be, have a mature critique, an adult critique, would be, if I've lost my joy, I'm off base.
1: I, I think that's an excellent standard. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And that's where I brought in Angelique, because she was doing all the right stuff. I mean, she was rising at 2 a.m. to pray. She was fasting like crazy. Her nuns were the picture of you know, hardcore holiness, but they were a dour lot. And that was really what Jansenism, the most notorious perfectionist Mm -hmm. heresy in Church history, was known for. It was dour. I mean, even the crucifix, Jesus has his arms in the shape of a V in a Jansenist crucifix, not out like a T, to show that, hey, only a few are going to make it and everyone else falls short. So when we are carrying that around, and I think, unfortunately, this can be an extra temptation for those of us who take our faith very seriously, because we're in a culture that doesn't at all— uh, Cardinal O'Connor said not long before he died that he was seeing more scrupulosity in the confessional because the culture was so crazy that people thought, well, I better run the other direction. Um, but the problem is we can fall off the other end of the spectrum. Yes, we can go off a different cliff, that of harshness, that of becoming so discouraged, despondent, and, and critical that we've truly lost the joy of Christ, and we know that joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So yep. yes, I think when we've lost that, when all we project is anger and division, and discouragement to others, and we're not drawing them to Christ or his church, then I think we know we need to make a U-turn. And again, it may mean just tuning out for a time from the bad news that we just you yeah. know, were overloaded by. It may mean rolling up our sleeves and just serving others for a time and paying a little less attention to things we can't control and more attention to the things that we can contribute to.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, talking about church news is not that much more uh, edifying than talking about uh, political news. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> right. you're just talking about ecclesiastical news. I mean, that's... There's nothing especially right. spiritual about that. But sometimes people, I think, <laughs> confuse that with with growth in the faith.
1: Um, That's right. And I think there can be a sense that, well, you've got your head in the sand if you're not faithful. Right, you know, right. Francis de Sales was interesting because he knew exactly what was going on in his day. And it was a best. You know, he was, in the, he was battling Calvinists on one end and complacent or corrupt Catholics on the other. He had a real... Uh, He had no confusion about the state that things were in, but he used to tell his spiritual directives, you know, pray for reform, pray that God will use you in that, but then You know, focus on the little virtues, humility, simplicity, patience, gentleness, showing gentleness to yourself, showing it to others, accepting God's mercy for yourself, and then living that truth to others. It's in the day-to-day. It's in the sacrifices, he used to say, not the ones that we choose, but the ones that choose us. That's where we have these building blocks to holiness. And it's not flashy, and it's not going to make the headlines, but that's where real holiness begins.
0: Give me uh, one example of a saint who was striving for perfection in the wrong way and had to recover from the perfectionism. Who's your favorite example? Not not the negative I one. That was
1: probably, <laughs> <laughs> I think that would probably be uh, Jane de Chantal. So okay. She was, uh, of course, co-founder of the Visitation Order with Francis de Sales. They forged this great spiritual friendship. But she's an interesting woman because I hadn't known much about her life before she met Francis. And uh, she was a French noblewoman, 17th century, passionately in love with her husband. He dies in a freak hunting accident when she's 29, literally in her bed having just given birth to their fourth child. Wow. So she finds herself at 29, a single mom, widowed, four kids under age six. She's a hardcore perfectionist, uh, spiritual perfectionist. She's trying to uh, grapple with this at the same time her father-in-law comes along, angry, irascible man, demands that if she and her family want any support, they got to move into his house where he's carrying on an affair with his housekeeper mistress that's resulted in the birth of five children. So it's a it's a full-on mess, and the mistress is trying to make Jane's life miserable. A local priest inadvertently adds to that because he thinks the best way to deal with a spiritual perfectionist is to, to drive her even harder. So she's getting no sleep because she's trying to stay up all night praying. She's giving up so much food. She's basically starving herself. She's stumbling through these days as a single mom. And she's on the verge of a nervous breakdown. And she meets Francis de Sales, and he says to her, and it's a direct quote, you're too much of a perfectionist about your faith. And he begins to show her another way. And it's interesting because he struggled with perfectionism, a Mm -hmm. form of it, in his college days. And I saw this over and over with these saints, that one would recover and then help another do the same. And he leads her on this way. And he, you know, she says, I struggle so much. I'm hard on my kids. I'm hard on my in-laws. I'm hard on my employees. And he says, you know, that's because you're hard on yourself. And you think God's looking at you the way you're looking at them, and he's not. He's looking at you with love.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Colleen, thank you so much. Uh, The book is beautifully written. It's warm, uh, but it's full of insight. Uh, We'll talk again. Thank you.
1: Thank you.